This podcast is sponsored by our partner, QXMD. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based medicine in clinical practice. Check out READ for easy access to research personalized for you. And CALCULATE for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools. Try them today at qxmd.com apps. Again, that is qxmd.com apps. Welcome. You're listening to Back Talk Doc, where you'll find answers to some of the most common questions about back pain and spine health. Brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, where providing personalized, highly skilled, and compassionate spine care has been our specialty for over 75 years. And now, it's time to understand the cause of back pain and learn about options to get you back on track. Here's your Back Talk Doc, Dr. Sanjeev Lakya. In the world of spine care, uh, we often deal with the concept of pinched nerves and back MRIs. And as you guys who follow me on this podcast know, we've done deep dives into MRI imaging and the workup for lumbar radiculopathies and the like. And today I want to kind of make a bit of a left turn. And I'm very delighted to be interviewing my friend and colleague, Marty Keston, to talk about the concept of trigger point treatments. We've touched before on trigger points versus acupuncture points. But today, we're really going to get into more of the clinical side of things. So, Marty, thanks for taking time and welcome to the show. Thank you, Sanjeev. I'm excited to be here and share some information. I really got to know uh, Marty. For those of you listening, you've followed me for a while and know that I actually off and on suffer with my own back issues that flare and I had a pretty bad flare up last winter. And it's where I connected with Marty and he was a big part of my team to help me get back on track. Marty is a well-established licensed massage therapist in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. He obtained his uh, BS in rehabilitation from Springfield College in 1991. He's got a master's degree in clinical social work. Marty's trained in Zen body therapy. He's done work with the Agoscu training method and graduated the Chicago School of Massage Therapy in 2001. In short, he's had a 25 to 30-year career of uh, really just helping people in our community and providing uh, outside-the-box perspective at times and really is known as a bit of a wizard with his hands and his, and his mindset. I think you're a bit of a savant when it comes to body work and trigger point treatment, Marty. So thanks for taking time. I think this is going to be fun. Thanks, Sanji. Yeah. All right. So let's get right into it. People who are listening, if you're suffering out there and you're getting pain going down your arm or going down your leg, Sometimes you'll run into the roadblock of meeting a physiatrist like myself or a neurosurgeon or other spine provider who will look at your MRI and just say, it doesn't make sense. And I know when I talk to patients in that context, I'm very careful because I know it can be a bit alarming to hear that and on some level dismissive. But I think by the end of this podcast, uh, those of you that are listening, you might feel some hope and be able to go down another pathway. Let's get right into the idea of musculoskeletal trigger points. Explain to listeners, Marty, what exactly a trigger point is, and then let's start from there. Trigger points are endogenous microscopic contractures in the actin and myosin filaments, the units of contracture, 
caused by either acute overload in a fall or a sporting accident or chronic overload as in a cumulative trauma disorder. If the rounded shoulders of somebody is going on for 15 years, they're going to develop these trigger points, which feel like little tiny grains of rice, sometimes larger ones in the anterior deltoid, which does medial rotation. It's adaptively shortened. And then the rhomboids as well, which retract the shoulder blade. They're going to be stretched weakened, and they're trying to do their jobs, and they can't because they're out of position. And you get a energy crisis metabolically. Calcium is not reuptaked. ATP is involved as well. And what Dr. Jay Shaw found at the NIH by inserting a needle with saline being pushed in, and pulling out what is inside of the trigger point up to 11 noxious waste products in active trigger points. The active ones are the ones that you feel. It could be a deep ache, a throb, a shooting pain, even burning sensations. A latent trigger point is formed in the skeletal muscle, but you don't actually feel the pain. And that's because a latent trigger point with its up to 11 obnoxious waste system byproducts is agitating nearby nociceptors, which then in turn bombard the dorsal horn and the spine, the spinal cord, and then it goes up into the brain. And the brain sends back, okay, something's wrong down there. I'm going to send out pain. Unfortunately, we're, we're calling these things trigger points because the points trigger pain, but often not in the same spot. And that's why they're called trigger points. And why this is happening, Dr. Saw also fleshed out in another paper, is that the signal going up the dorsal horn is not traveling on the same pathway when it comes back down. And as neuroscientists say, it's wired together, fires together. Dr. John Kelgren in the 1930s injected healthy skeletal muscle with saline to see what would happen. And what he found in the major muscles that he injected, in four out of five patients, every time they got the same pain pattern, but not the fifth patient. And that's because muscle is messy. Let's talk about latent trigger points, too. The Dr. Shaw's work has shown that they only have three to four or five immune system waste products stored up in the hypoxic tissue, thereby not aggravating the nearby nociceptors bombarding the dorsal horn. That's why I feel like this is your wheelhouse, because I think that was an amazing description of what a trigger point is and some of the research and science behind it. Now, let's just clarify. If I come up behind you and I push my thumb on your upper trap and it hurts under my thumb, but does not hurt down your arm or in your head or neck, is that a trigger point? That's probably a latent trigger point and the pain pattern for the upper trap is literally a question mark going up behind the ear into the front of the temple and it could be part of that pattern a third of it a quarter of it or all of it okay very good so my audience is mixed i think i have probably more lay people than science minded guests or or uh, listeners for the show if you go to see a massage therapist in the community are all massage therapists 
going to have their radar up for finding and manually deactivating trigger points? Unfortunately, Sanji, the answer is definitely no. And it's the same in the physical therapy world and the physician world as well. There's just too few of us clinicians, regardless what our background is and our credentials, that have stumbled across it or had a mentor that said, you need to study this. It's the missing link in the pain world. When do you as a clinician suspect that a client or patient may be dealing with a pain pattern from untreated trigger points? My practice has been attracting recalcitrant or just stubborn enigmatic cases for about 10-15 years now. And fortunately, they've already been to the doctor or the chiropractor or the PT or the acupuncturist or the massage therapist, and they come to me and go, nobody could figure it out. So they've already gone through a lot of diagnostics and assessments. And I asked them, how many people have examined your skeletal muscle in a microscopic way where they're combing over what they think the problematic area could be? And almost always, nobody's ever done that to me. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think you have to be on the lookout for them. For me, I'm very suspicious because I, you know, I live in a world, Marty, of a lot of imaging where MRI imaging, plain film studies are on some level standard of care. And also on some level, they're an expectation of people coming into the office, even if I don't necessarily feel like the imaging always adds value. But when I pull up imaging studies for patients that literally just do not explain the symptoms, I feel like I have an added tool in a toolbox that I can give someone hope because of my understanding of trigger points that I can say, look, you do not have a ruptured disc. This is good news. Your pain is real. We're going to go on the hunt to find where it's coming from. And then I love pulling up diagrams on the computer from Travell's book where you, I mean, you literally can go on Google and just you know, type in gluteus medius trigger point referral pattern and then up, up pops the classic image. And I can't tell you how many aha looks I get from people saying, that's exactly it. That's exactly where my pain is. So I think it's, it's a real addition to the clinical toolbox to have this sort of knowledge and the ability to take a look at things. For me, I suspected also, in addition to imaging studies that are benign, when I have someone come in with an asymmetric gait or asymmetric posture, I know, at least from my osteopathic training, that whenever there's asymmetry, there's going to be tight muscle bands in some areas and loose and overstretched in the other. So it's very easy to see someone, like you mentioned, the rounded shoulder. Nowadays with you know, tech neck and our 24 hours on a computer, it's very easy to just palpate and find them in the, in the chest wall and the rhomboid, the shoulders, everywhere. So those are, those are some clues for me as well. Can I share some imaging studies now and since we're on the subject matter? Yeah. Back in 1989, a doctor by the name of Rasimov in the pain management journal, took 283 patients, he and his two colleagues, and they did skeletal muscle palpations, enigmatic back pain patients, and 96% of them had two to four active trigger points that they found that would recreate the patient's pain pattern. Another one was Hague in 2006 in the archives of physical medicine. He asked, is spinal stenosis causing the pain in the neck. And about 150 patients were assessed. 
And some had stenosis and some did not. But all the patients with stenosis also had active sugar pump. So he concluded, does the stenosis cause pain? Yes. And do the sugar points aggravate the pain? Yes. Clinicians needs to be really up on not having a strong confirmation bias either way. Like I used to do it's all muscle, but no, it's not all muscle. It could be nerve root irritations, stenosis, chemical irritations. Muscles have four things that they don't like. Length issues, too short, too long, stretch weakened, they adapt to be shortened. Weakness, if you have a weak subscapularis, that's the, one of the four rotator cuffs on the front of your shoulder blade, if that's weak, a signal is going to be sent up into your brain, weakness, and the pain is going to send back pain. That's an interesting concept that stability and mobility are forever linked. So you might have pain in your subscapularis because it's the brain turning on the pain in your shoulder so you don't use it as much. Muscle has two other concerns. Chemical irritation, if you have flu or a cold or a fever, you feel all feel achy all over. And then finally, trigger pain, the most misunderstood Full body, non-inflammatory disease of skeletal muscle. Very complex musculoskeletal system that we uh, deal with on a daily basis. And I think if you know where to look, the body will give you the clues to help figure out what's going on. Let's talk a little bit about kind of treatment options. Now, when you suspect trigger points contributing to an individual's pain syndrome, there are a whole host of kind of evolving options. Number one, uh, you certainly can work with someone who's got your qualifications to kind of hunt them down and do manual techniques to release them. Number two, the emerging field of uh, dry needling, which is extremely popular now, amongst, particularly amongst physical therapists and patients literally coming in asking for it. Number three, the classic Chevelle technique of spray and stretch. Use a, a vapor coolant spray on the muscle and then therapeutic stretching. Then the more aggressive medical option of literally injecting the trigger points with some substance, whether it's lidocaine, some will actually use corticosteroid, which I don't recommend, serapin. There's been other agents that have been utilized. What's kind of your thoughts? Obviously, you may have a bias because what you do for a living, but how do you conceptualize which tool to use to address and eliminate and correct the, the trigger point? Right. Now, Travell basically and Dr. Simon colleagues basically said you do whatever works. And in their view house, it was spray and stretch and doing the injections. But it doesn't matter if you're an acupuncturist, a chiropractor, an MD, an osteopath, a PT, a massage therapist, whatever tool you have. Like, for example, I also have a code laser in my practice, and that can get just as deep as almost any injection needle without actually breaking the skin and going into the body. And that could deactivate trigger points very fast, very, very effectively. Probably more importantly than what methodology you're using to treat the trigger point, it's identifying the perpetuating factors as part of treatment, what's causing it in the first place, and then making sure people have a good, uh, I think that is called a good home care. For me, it's always teaching people how to self-treat their trigger points, first by warming up the muscle belly with a foam roller, and then doing site-specific 
treatment on this trigger point with a tennis ball or a golf I think that's the most important thing is to empower our patients with the knowledge of why they're in pain and explaining to them that it's not another clinician's fault that they missed it, the trigger point. It's just not part of their background and training. And it just move forward with the right care. Yeah, no, I like that because, you know, we all look at things through a different lens and a bit of a different bias based upon our experience. And I'll tell you that tennis ball, I don't, I don't leave my house without the tennis ball. When I was having the pain down the leg, activating those trigger points, using that tennis ball, it's just amazing, simple, effective, immediate tool that you can use if you're in a, in a rough situation. Teaching patients you know, how to prevent it. I like how you mentioned find and eliminate the factors that are triggering it and contributing to it. And I think that's where like sitting posture, ergonomics, breathing, stress, diet, all these things play a role. And a you know, comprehensive approach to that is warranted beyond just someone coming in and asking me to stick a needle in it and then going home and then they come back in a week and it's back. That's a very good point that you made. Let's get into educate people here. Uh, there are some classic pain patterns. So let's talk about sciatica. I just had a patient come in the other day and we had literally about to walk out the room, finished our vow, and he asked me, Hey, doc, do you think this wallet I sit on is contributing to my problem? And he pulls out this huge billfold. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, so then we, we stopped a little bit and talked about you know, the piriformis muscle, the glute muscles, and, and how this can contribute. So I thought about that when you mentioned the uh, factors that can trigger symptoms. But what are some common muscles that you see and maybe some uncommon ones that people wouldn't even be aware of that can reproduce kind of pain going down the leg? Classic pseudosciatic muscle is the medius minimus. It will actually put pain down the side of the leg, down the calf, but it won't extend in below the ankle. So that's a good telltale sign. But if it's going into your toes and feet, you definitely have nerve roots irritation going on. But if it's not, and the pain is achy, it's not super sharp, electrifying type feeling, it's probably muscular. The piriformis could entrap the sciatic nerve. That's going to put pain down the side of the leg that bypass the knee. It won't go through the knee. And that's when you know you probably have piriformis syndrome rather than lumbar circular movement. For me, it's always trial and error. Even if they come in with an official diagnosis of X, Y, or Z, I'm going to do a thorough skeletal muscle palpation examination of every muscle in the area of their pain, probably elsewhere, to look for dysfunctional culprits that might be lending to the pelvic obliquity or eye hip or something, or a heavy pelvic even. One side of the pelvis is actually smaller than the other. I don't see that too often, but I've seen it maybe four or five times. Our common muscle dysfunction in the shoulder girdle, uh, Travell and Simon say the most common trigger point in the body is upper trapezius. Based on the past 25 years, I'd have to say it's probably the infraspinatus. That's uh, a muscle on the back of your shoulder blade, and it gets stretched deeping, and its referral pain goes into the front of the shoulder, or deep in the shoulder, or down the arm. And if I had a dollar for each time someone came in with a radiculopathy or a pinch nerve in the neck diagnosis, and it turned out to be that muscle, I'd be buying a new car. Uh-huh. 
You've talked to me before. What about carpal tunnel syndrome? Carpal tunnel syndrome, but let's talk about carpal tunnel syndrome. I'm not a doctor. I diagnose it, but I can tell my patients the diagnosis is the end result of a bunch of things that you've been doing and not doing. So even if it is medium nerve entrapment from scar tissue and pressure, there's going to be multiple other factors involved in why that's happening. The poor posture, the repetitive strain around the shoulders, the not knowing how to go home and do an ice bath after work, or how to massage your arms properly. You could have multiple trigger points in forearm muscles of the extensor group, the flexor group, the the wad of three, that's the extensor group. There's uh, the first dorsal interosseous muscle can recreate the numbness on the top of your hand and bottom of your hand, just like carpal tunnel syndrome and a doctor could make it cold turkey if they don't achieve greater muscle palpation training, which most don't. And I could say the same thing to massage therapists. They do learn how to massage to be a full body massage, and if they go to a school that they sports massage or study trigger points, they get some of that. But until they really start to practice it over and over again and buy the right manuals and take the right continuing education classes, they're going to miss these quote-unquote diagnoses cold turkey. You know, one of the things that I find fascinating about the field of, of trigger points is the idea that some of these can almost trigger autonomic symptoms. So for example, I think the key area there, at least that I've seen, would be kind of headaches, head stuff, dizziness, vertigo, headaches. What are some of the kind of autonomic presentations that you've seen in your clinical career of uh, hunting for and, and searching and treating trigger points? The textbooks make it very clear that trigger points can cause autonomic phenomena and the exact mechanism of action is fully understood by some and argued by others but at the end of the day it doesn't matter you just need to identify the offending muscle that's telling the brain something's wrong and the brain sends out autonomic phenomena one of the best case histories is a doctor by the name of jeff who's now a good friend of mine he came to me because his neighbor who is 51 facing retirement because of disability as a nephrologist or kidney doctor. He comes in the office like a deer in the headlights going, uh, I'm here because my friend recommended it and I'm desperate. He was having tingling in his hands and his feet and slight vertigo, was having trouble driving himself to work. And he presented with one of the most extreme forward head postures I've ever seen. And I showed him my red Travel books, and we talked, and I showed him the sternocleidomastoid muscle, that big muscle that attaches the back of your head to your collarbone. And Dr. Travell and Simons identified it as a proprioceptive organ. That is, it's telling your brain where the head is in space in relation to the body. And if someone presents with an extreme forward head posture, that sternocleidomastoid or SCM muscle is adaptively shortened, and his neck was harboring, I counted, eight active trigger points in his SCMs, 
and also his scalenes. Those are small little muscles of inspiration on the front of your neck were also adaptively shortened. And his suboccipitals, which are which attach the base of your skull to your first two vertebrae, were adaptively shortened. Because if you stick your, your head forward, the back of your skull comes down. And it took about three weeks. And he said, I'm 25 to 50% improved. And it took about six weeks for him to go the tingling's gone. And his homework was to reverse the forward head posture. I gave him postural care exercises, corrected the perpetuating factors, sitting at a desk, dictating after work. I said, stand up, get a walking treadmill desk, and he did. And today he's pain-free and still seeing all his patients. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. You know, it makes me think about in the osteopathic world, we focus a lot on tender points and dysfunction in the front of the body. And I think the front of the body gets neglected quite a bit. So for example, abdominal trigger points with irritable bowel syndrome, even abdominal, lower abdominal trigger points with low back pain. So dysfunction, shortened muscles, irritated muscles in the front of the body, contributing to pains in the back of the body or elsewhere. Do you encounter a lot of that in terms of working on the front versus just looking at the backside of the body? I've worked on several Pilates instructors over the years, and they're taught when they get trained to be teachers to pull in the belly. And that was because several of the original students of Joseph Pilates were ballet dancers, and they always pulled in their belly. And several of them developed IBS as a result. And they would harbor massive trigger points in the upper rectus, which is attaching to the lower ribs and the lower rectus, which attaches to the top of the pubic bone and the oblique muscles as well. Even the transverse abdominis, when we would release those trigger points, one woman reported, my diarrhea is going down. Yeah. And it makes sense. It kind of all ties together because if I put on my Eastern medicine hat with acupuncture, a lot of those are the points that you use to treat these functional GI disturbances. What I've learned through the years is I have an evolving definition of fitness. I don't think you necessarily have to look like the guy on the front cover of Men's Health magazine. I think it's key to be able to breathe deeply. And anything that impairs your diaphragmatic motion and that creates muscle tension that blocks that is going to put you down a pathway that you don't necessarily want to be on. Now, kind of to wrap it up here, if people are listening to this, I'm sure an obvious question is, Marty, how do I prevent some of this stuff from happening. So can you share maybe two or three tips, self-care tips that you use and recommend with your clients about how people can uh, kind of stay out of trouble? If we're living in the modern age, I don't think we could really stay out of trouble because we're always stuck in a four by four box, whether we're seated at the desk or in the car or in front of a TV or at the computer. One of the things that people can do is go buy any self-care book on treating trigger points. There's several out there. Just look up self-treating trigger points and pick the one that resonates with you. Moving more. Microbreaking at work. Microbreaking means pushing away from your computer and doing spinal flexes or, or cat and cow seated, that yoga exercise. If you're working at home or at the office, walk upstairs to go to the bathroom or walk downstairs. Stay moving as much as you can. And if you think you got to 
trigger point or just a pain in your back or your neck, you're probably first going to go run for ice. If you run for moist heat instead and it gives you relief, you've probably got a trigger point, break out your, your self-care book, identify the muscle, and treat it. Self-treating these little pot bands is the most overlooked, obvious way to do self-care. And that's because trigger points don't respond too much to stretching. They don't like ice. And we don't even know that we have them until you go to someone like Sanjeev Renee. No, that's a great tip. I like that about moving your body more, micro breaks, and the heat. So, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to, I think, talk about an area that doesn't get enough attention. Uh, before I do let you go, I always like to close my episodes with picking the brain of my guests, just some health habits that have served you well. Like in the past, I've had people share their morning routine or one or two things that they love to do that keeps them healthy and happy. So do you have any parting tips about you know what's helped you stay on top and, and remain as a thriving, productive professional? I think first and foremost is, well, there's probably several things, is my faith in my higher power, that, that I'm supported all the time by a entity or a supreme being that is loving and kind. I have had a daily meditation practice since I was about 22 years old, and that has changed over the years as to what I do. But the one thing that's the same is I work on my deep breathing. I focus my mind on something. That's been very instrumental, especially over the past year with COVID. And probably three, if you own a foam roller, one of the things that you can do with it is befriend it. Don't hurt yourself with it. Go easy. And that ties into my third point about my own self-care like makeup, less is more. That's what I learned from women over the years, that the ones who put on a lot of makeup don't look as good as the ones who put on less. And I learned this from them. I don't wear makeup, but I'm just saying less is more. So maybe not run for 45 minutes, run for 30, and then do some stretching afterwards. And finally, frankly, the Wim Hof method. It's a method of cold exposure with cold showers, a specific breathing technique, and then mental focus through the first two. That's been a game changer for me over the past two years. I've been very healthy, fortunately, and my muscular aches and pains have gone down. I mean, that's a fascinating topic that we could spend an hour talking about as well. But thank you for sharing those personal tips. And we'll go ahead and put some links in the show notes to, I want to link to the Travel manuals that we talked about. I think if you're a physical therapist listening or a bodywork specialist, you should definitely own the, the two-volume set. We'll link to some personal self-care trigger point workbooks. I did an episode of kind of top 10 gifts over Christmas time, and I, I had the workbook along with a Theracane. So I don't know if you use a Theracane, but I, I really love that. It's a great way to get to tough to reach spots. And then if people are listening in the area and they want to get a hold of you, what's kind of the way that people can find you? Well, since it's the age of Zoom, I actually do Zoom therapy sessions now with people. And I just ask them if we're doing lower body or back stuff to get a foam roller and a tennis ball. And if we're doing shoulders stuff to get a Theracane, just like you mentioned. Probably looking me up at my website, www.insomabodyworks.com. That's E-N-S-O-M-A bodyworks.com. Or sending me an email at mkestin, K-E-S-T-I-N, at insomabodyworks.com. Fantastic. All right, my friend. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. I think 
this is a very valuable episode that people are going to learn a lot from. And if it helps even one person who's listening discover a solution to their issue, then uh, I'm going to be a happy man. So thanks again. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks, Sanjeev. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Back Talk Doc, brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, with offices in North and South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lockia and treatment options for back issues, go to backtalkdoc.com. We look forward to having you join us for more insights about back pain and spine health on the next episode of Back Talk Doc. Additional information is also available at carolinaneurosurgery.com.